0: To Luke chapter 1. We're going to be in Luke chapter 1. Before uh, Nick and Lindsay read for us this morning, I just want to introduce uh, our Advent series this week. As, as today, the first Sunday of Advent, we are kicking off a four week series uh, titled The Songs of Christmas. And just want to give a little background why we want to do that. Well, in one of his books, um, Tim Keller, he asks us to imagine that for the first time, we are visiting a friend who has a house near train tracks. Imagine that you're sitting there in conversation with your friend when suddenly a train comes roaring by just a few feet away from where you are sitting. And, and without even thinking, you, you jump to your feet, you are startled, you are scared, and you, you scream at your friend, what was that? To your amazement, your friend is just sitting there bewildered and goes, "What what was what, what are you what are you talking about?" And you answer, that sound that, that, that train coming by or that sound I, I, I thought something was going to come through the wall. oh, that your your friend responds, she says, "Oh, that's just the train. you know, I guess I've gotten so used to it that I don't even notice it anymore. And with wide eyes, you say. I don't see how that's possible. But we know that it is, right? This little story here, in this little story here, Tim Keller is getting at the danger of familiarity, a danger that is particularly real for us this time of year when we begin to focus on the reality of the incarnation, what we've already been talking about here, when, when Jesus, God the Son, took on flesh for us and for our salvation, just like in the train story this time of year, each one of us here is tempted to just shrug our shoulders as we think it 's just the incarnation I think i 've just gotten so used to it that i don 't even that i don 't even notice it anymore, but this advent season we don 't want to be unaffected by the reality that we celebrate in the Incarnation. No, we want to be moved to singing and to rejoicing at this most glorious truth of what Christ has come to do, what we celebrate here at Christmas. And that's why this morning we're starting this four-week series called The Songs of Christmas in Luke 1 and 2, where we are going to look at the four songs sung in response to news Of the birth of Jesus. And we want to look at these songs because we want to be moved in the exact same way as these people were in scripture. No longer shrugging our shoulders, saying, Oh, yeah, the incarnation, I don't even notice that anymore. But instead, amazing, responding to this amazing reality. With hearts full of rejoicing. And this morning we are going to look at the first song called Mary's Magnificat, taken from the Latin translation of her first song of, of the first line. My soul magnifies the Lord. This is her her magnification of the Lord. And before Nick and Lindsay read our passage, I want to pray for the Spirit's illumination. So pray with me. Holy Spirit, you who first inspired these words of Scripture, we ask that you will shine your light and awaken us once again to the hearing of the beautiful truths in your Scripture. Illumine us now as we hear your word proclaimed, that we may open our hearts to Christ and to yearn for his coming in glory. Amen. Well, Nick and Lindsay are going to read a bit lengthier portion of our passage here to give us some context.
1: A reading from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 1, verses 26 through 38. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said,
2: This is the word of the Lord.
0: Thanks be to God. Thank you for reading a bit of a longer passage there, friends. Well, this morning we're going to be mainly focusing on Mary's song, but it is nice to have the context there for all that is taking place. And, and perhaps as Nick and Lindsay were reading... Um, you were just thinking, oh, these are these are very familiar words. Um, but as I was saying, these words here, these this song is here, and it's meant to stir up our hearts to praise. And so, as we look at Mary's song this morning, we want to ask ourselves, what was it that moved? Mary to this awe-filled praise. What was it that moved in her heart, that moved in her soul, that filled her to overflowing so that she sings and proclaims this hymn of thanksgiving for all that God has done? And as the, the main point or the big idea of this sermon, I want us to see that Mary was rejoicing in the reversals that Christ has come to bring. It was as Mary reflected on the reversals that Christ came to bring, both in her life and in the world, that her heart exploded with praise. So this morning, I want us to look at each of these reversals, Christ's reversal in Mary's life, Christ's reversal in the world, so that we might see Christ's reversal in our own life, and the reversals that Christ is bringing into the world. We're going to see two reversals that give us reason to rejoice this morning. The first reason we have to rejoice is because of the reversal that Christ has brought in each of our lives. Starting in verse 46, we read, And Mary said, and Mary sung, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. Here we see Mary's posture of praise as her her heart and her soul overflow in song to the Lord. Mary isn't isn't monotone, Mary isn't mumbling, Mary isn't going through the motions as she sings here, but she is bursting at the seams as she magnifies the Lord, as she gives thanks to the Lord for all that he has done for her. And as she continues singing here in verse 48, we see her outline, we see her, her describe, her tell us exactly what it is that God has done for her. In verse 48, she writes, or she's singing, she sings, for he, for God, has looked on the humble estates of his servants. Mary's soul sings and her heart rejoices because of the grace that God has shown her when he looked upon her this phrase here looked upon here her, looked upon isn't just doesn't it, it doesn't just mean that god looked at her like, like we might look at a picture or we might look at a menu if we're ordering a meal but in the bible when it says that god looks on someone it, it's conveying the idea that god is looking favorably on that person it has the idea that god is looking on this person in grace and he's going to act to help them or to care for them. And here we know, as we we heard Nick reading, we know that God looked favorably, he looked graciously upon Mary when he chose her to be the one who would bear the Messiah, the one who would be the mother of God. And for Mary, this has made all the more amazing given her, her position at life. Did you hear how she describes herself? Is in this hymn here, she says that God has looked on the humble estates of her servant. As, as Mary thinks about herself, she she there's no presumption, there are, are no assumptions in her mind at all that she is somehow worthy to have been looked upon favorably by God. Mary doesn't feel entitled, she doesn't feel like she deserves anything. No, she is just a servant, one who God has graciously looked upon. In first century Israel, Mary would have been someone of no significance. She had no social position. She had no title, no nobility. If we had looked at her, she would have been someone just that we looked at, no one special. And yet here, God, as he so often does, in his grace he's looked on mary this humble woman young woman from nazareth and he's chosen to do the most amazing thing in the world for her never before or ever again will anything quite like will anything quite like the great thing that god's done for her happen again because god has chosen her to give birth to the Messiah, she is the one who will give birth to the long awaited to the promised Messiah, the one that God has promised his people that he would He would send them, the one who would save his people from their sins. that is the one who is in mary 's womb. He is the one who is coming to establish his kingdom here on earth, this kingdom that will have no end God is is planning to do this miraculous thing, and he chooses. This humble, he chooses this young woman of humble estate, a servant to do that. And more than just sending this long-awaited Messiah, this promised King of David, as we read, as we recited, as we've been rejoicing in this morning, this child in Mary's belly is God himself. This is no normal baby, but this is Jesus, God the Son, the second person of the Trinity, who in what Christians call the incarnation, has taken on flesh and become a human person. This is is the miracle of Christmas, that, that God himself would become human, that the Word would become flesh. And as we read, as Tab so helpfully highlighted for us earlier, this was absolutely essential for us and for our salvation. Christ had to be completely God if he was going to satisfy God's own judgment against sin. And Christ had to be completely human so that he could identify with us, that he could be our representative, that he could be our substitute. And this is why Mary, the one who is bearing the God-man, can say in verse 48, that for behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. All generations, including you and me today, as we think about Mary and the special place that she has in salvation history, because of what God has done for her, will call her blessed. This humble servant, this one of humble estate, this nobody will now be called blessed throughout the whole world because of what God has done. Are you beginning to see why why Mary's rejoicing? why her heart is overflowing with praise. It's because of the great reversal that God has brought about in her life and that God is bringing about through through the one that she will give birth to. In graciously looking on her and acting for her, God has brought about a great reversal in her life. Mary has gone from obscurity to infamy, from humility to honor, from humble servant to blessed, And as she reflects on these realities, she just can't keep her thankfulness inside, and so she sings. And as we reflect on God's reversal in Mary's life, I believe that we're meant to to see another reversal. As we look at what God has done for Mary, we're meant to see the reversal that God has brought about in your life and in mine. Because just like God did a great work in Mary's life. He has done a great work, a great reversal in our lives as well. And, and first off, I hope it goes without saying that the reversal G- that Jesus brought about in our lives isn't the same as what he brought about in Mary's life. None of us here this, mor- this morning are going to give birth to the Messiah. But I do think that as we look at the reversal that God brought about in Mary's life, that it is a picture for us of how God relates to each and every one of us. Because just like God graciously looked upon Mary and acted in her life, for all who are here and who are trusting in Jesus this morning, God has graciously looked at you and he has acted favorably upon your life. But Jesus didn't just act on our humble estate like he did for Mary. No, Jesus acted on our hopeless and our helpless state because when Jesus looked on us, he didn't just see the humble estate of a servant, but he saw the helpless state of a rebel. He saw the hopeless state of an enemy because you and I before God graciously acted in our lives, We're spiritually dead. We were actively rebelling against God, the creator of the universe. And yet into this hopeless and this helpless state, Christ has looked on us and he has done a great thing for you and for me, bringing about the most needed and the greatest reversals that we need in our lives is because of what Christ has done, Christ has brought us from death to life Christ has brought us from orphan to beloved child. Christ has brought us from outcast to accepted son and daughter. He has reversed us from sinners to saints. He has moved us from being condemned to being forgiven. And he has reversed us from being under the curse of sin to receiving the blessings of God. All of these are the reversals that Jesus has brought about in our life, all of because of the most marvelous reversal in human history when Jesus, God the Son himself, left the perfect fellowship of heaven to enter into our sinful and broken world, be born in a manger so that he can take our place, living the perfect life and dying the sacrificial death that we deserved. All of this to take away our sin, to take away our shame, giving us his perfect righteousness and acceptance before the Father. Like Mary, don't you just want to sing at these amazing reversals that God has brought about in our lives? If you are here this morning, if you are trusting in Jesus, God has brought you from death. To life. He has looked on you hopeless and helpless, spiritually dead, and He has breathed into you new life. He has given you the gift of regeneration, all because of what Jesus has done. That is amazing. And that should make our hearts want to sing. As I was thinking about this point, I remembered a story that I think I've told here before about a man named Robert Robinson. The story goes that one day Robert Robinson boarded a carriage in London and he had, he had hoped to be riding alone that morning, but across the aisle from him was this young woman carrying in her hands this small book of, of hymns and poems and prayers. Robinson didn't feel like talking, so they rode in silence for a few minutes, and then the young woman broke the silence as she threw the book across the aisle at Robert Robinson and said to him, you have got to read this. These words are so beautiful. Robinson opened the book, and he read the words, the words that we actually sang first song this morning. He read, come thou fount of every blessing, tune my heart to sing thy grace. And as he read these words, his face sank. The young woman noticed this change in his disposition and his demeanor. And she said, sir, do you, do you know these words? And he said, miss, I wrote these words more than 25 years ago. And I would give a thousand worlds to feel today what I felt back then. These are such heartbreaking and yet all too relatable words for each and every one of us this morning, especially this Christmas season. Perhaps even this morning, as you've been reflecting on the wonderful reversal that Christ has brought about in your life, you've been thinking, I would give a thousand worlds to feel today what I felt back then. If that's you this morning, as we are thinking about this great reversal that Christ has brought about in our lives, and you find that it is perhaps not having an effect on you. you, perhaps it is not moving you, causing you to rejoice and to want to sing, I would just want to encourage you to do what I have found myself having to do multiple times over this past week, and that is to reflect again to go deeper into the reversal that Christ has brought about in your life, to really reflect on what Christ has done for you. Because the sad truth, at least the reality in my own heart, is that I know how easily I can minimize what Jesus has done for me, and I can easily begin to think that Jesus has come not to save me, but to help me. I can think that Jesus has come merely to to offer me a little bit of help but not to save me. No now of course aside from this moment here I would never consciously say that this is what I'm doing but that's what's happening in my heart as I minimize the reality of my sin on God. As I begin to compare myself with other people and I can begin to think, I'm not that bad. I'm certainly not as bad as a sinner as this person or as that, piece, or as that person. And I can begin to think that I just needed a little bit of help from Jesus. And as I minimize the reversal that Jesus has brought about in my life, I find that the rejoicing in my heart over what he has done is also minimized. I'm not sure if you can relate this morning, but the great reversal of the incarnation, the great reversal of Christmas, shows us that Jesus didn't come to help us, but he came to totally and to completely save us. I think Dane Ortland has helpfully illustrated this when, when he writes, he says that we were not drowning in need of a life preserver. That, that, that's often how we can think of ourselves as, as merely drowning in need of a life preserver. And Dane Ortland says, no, no, we were, we were not drowning in need of a life preserver, but we were stone dead at the bottom of the ocean. Jesus pulled us up, breathed new life into us, and set us on our feet, and every breath we draw is now owing to his full and utter deliverance of us in all our helplessness and death. Jesus didn't come to help us, but he came to save us, and that is the great reversal that he brought about in our lives. That is the reason we have to rejoice, because of his Reversal in our life. And so this Advent season, I would just encourage all of us here to follow Mary's example, to reflect on the reversal that Christ has brought about in our life and let it move us to rejoicing. If you are here this morning and perhaps you have have never trusted in Christ, perhaps you are here this morning because a friend encouraged you or perhaps dragged you here this morning and you're new to this Christianity thing, first off, I just want to say thank you so much for coming. But this morning, I also just want to encourage you and to invite you um, or to see that Jesus wants to bring about this same reversal in your life that, he's, that he is desiring to do that. And the amazing thing about the gospel, the amazing thing about the incarnation that we've been celebrating, Jesus leaving heaven, coming down to earth, is that we, to accept this, to, to have our life changed, to have this reversal brought about in our lives, we don't have to clean ourselves up first. We don't have to get our act together. We don't need to pull ourselves up by our bootstraps to somehow make ourselves acceptable to God, but we just need to look to him. We need to turn to him. We just need to receive this reversal that he is offering us to respond in faith to what Jesus has already done. So if that is you this morning, I would just encourage you to turn to Christ, to see the great reversal of the incarnation of Jesus taking on human flesh, and to let him bring about a great reversal in your life as he desires to look upon you favorably and to act in your life. So the first reason we have to rejoice is because of Christ's reversal in our life. But as Mary continues, as her song continues, we see the second reason that we have to rejoice. And that is because of the reversals that Christ is bringing about in the world. As Mary continues, we see that Christ has come to bring more than just personal salvation, that that's between us and God, but Christ has come bringing a kingdom. He is coming to bring a new social order that turns the expectations and the assumptions of the world upside down. We see the reversals that Christ is bringing right off the bat. In verse 50, as she keeps singing, Mary says, and his mercy and God's mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. Mary here rejoices that God's mercy, that God's faithful covenant love, God's special love, the love that he has shown to all those who have trusted in him, this love is not limited to just the Israelites, but this love is available for any and for all who fear God. For us today, this might not seem like that big of a deal, but in the first century Israel, the idea, this idea here that the gospel is for all people, for Jew and for Gentile alike, was a revolutionary idea here. in actually, in fact, it was a, a scandalous idea in first century And yet it's one that Luke in particular, as you read through his gospel, you see him making this point time and time again. He wants to see that Jesus has come to bring salvation, not just for the religious elites of the day, but he he hasn't come to bring salvation only for the Israelites. But as Mary sings, Christ has come to bring salvation, to bring his kingdom for all people, for all who fear him. And while this was a, a revolutionary idea at the time, we see as Mary keeps singing that it really shouldn't have been because as she sings in verses 54 and 55, Jesus has come as the fulfillment of God's promises to Abraham, these promises that God made centuries before Jesus came, the promises that through Jesus, that through the Messiah, all peoples would be blessed. Every nation, every family would be blessed through this promised child. So Christ has come reversing the expectations of the religious elite that salvation is only for the Jews. And as Mary continues, we see that Christ has come also to reverse the world's understanding and the world's assumptions about who will receive God's blessing. You see, much like today, in the first century, it was the, the rich and the powerful. It was those who were in high positions, those who were in positions of authority, the mighty, who were thought to be living the blessed life, those who were thought to be living, experiencing the blessings of God. But here, Mary shows us that in the kingdom, Christ is inaugurating in his birth. It is those that we least expect it who will receive God's blessing. Just hear what she sings starting in verse 20, in verse 51. She sings, He that, that's God has shown strength with his arm. He's he's brought deliverance here. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things, and the rich He is sent away empty. Do you you see the contrast there? Do you see the reversals that Jesus is coming to bring? Jesus entering into the world, he's coming and he's showing us that in this kingdom he is bringing, it is not the rich and the mighty who are blessed and exalted. No, it is the poor and the humble who receive God's blessing. Can you imagine how incredibly hope-giving this would have been to the first century readers? many of them coming from the edges of society. They were those who were oppressed. They were those who were marginalized. It was them who were looked down upon as second-class citizens. It was the very ones who had been treated unjustly by the rich and the proud. That is who made up the early church here. And here, Mary is promising that in his coming, Jesus is going to reverse all of this, he's going to reverse the expectations of the world here, of what it looks like to live a blessed life, to experience God's blessing. And as, as the readers heard this song, I can only imagine the smiles that came across their faces as they heard it, when they realized that in Jesus' kingdom, it is the proud, the mighty, and the rich. Those who, who because of their material wealth, because of their positions of authority, have chosen to live their lives with no regard for God or his word. Instead, they've used their positions of authority to take advantage of others. It is it is not them who will be blessed, but here we see their end. We see that in the end, they will be judged. They will be brought down. They are the ones who will be sent away empty. But for all of those who've lived their lives humble and hungry, all of those who have lived their lives aware of their need for God, they are the ones who will experience His blessings. They are the ones who will be filled with good things and exalting, and, and will be exalted. This is this is the the hope giving promise that Christ was that um, that Mary was singing about. That Christ is bringing in His reversals. This this hope giving reality that in Jesus' kingdom He is reversing the expectations, the assumptions about what it means to be great in the world. And so they could embrace and live into their humble and hungry lives knowing that it is them, it is, they are the ones who are blessed. And just like it did for, for Mary, these reversals that Jesus is bringing into the world, they give us reasons to rejoice First, I think that this vision of reversal that we see here in verses 51 to 53, this vision of what it means to be great, of what it means to live the good life, it equips us to fight against the message that we are told, the message that we are sold all day long, that the good life, that flourishing can only be found by living according to the standards of the world. In a world where we are told that true blessings come from being rich and famous, from having untold numbers of followers and views and clicks or retweets, or whatever they are, in a a world that paints success, that paints the good life and being blessed as climbing up the corporate ladder or the social ladder, or whatever ladder it is that you are climbing, Mary's song invites us to see that Jesus has come to completely reverse the values of the world. He has come not to exalt the rich and the mighty, but the humble and the hungry, those who see and are aware of their need for God in this kingdom where the first will be last and the last will be first. Mary's, Mary's showing us here that Jesus refuses to play by the world's games of status and performance, that Jesus rejects the narrative that tells us that our value or our worth are defined by our titles or our salaries, by our relationship status or the number of followers that we have, by what our kids are are doing or what our kids aren't doing. No, Jesus has come to reverse the world's understanding, to reverse your understanding and mine of what it looks like to live the blessed life. And he's inviting us to embrace humility. He's inviting us to embrace humility, to see our need for Christ as we follow him down the ladder to the bottom where he longs to meet us. Because Christmas shows us that we experience God's blessing. Those who are exalted, those who are filled, who are hungry, hungry, who are humble, those who see their need for God, those who not, not those who prove or are striving to prove their worth. I think that that's one thing that this reversal does for us is it can help us to to fight against this idea of meritocracy where we feel like we have to keep justifying our existence because God doesn't look and God doesn't reward the rich and the mighty, those of high positions, but he looks on the humble. And the hungry, those who see their need for him. So let us give thanks for all that Christ has done for us, and we can rest and rejoice. And secondly, and I think this is perhaps the primary thing that Mary wants us to see here, is that the reversals that Jesus came bringing into the world are meant to fill us with great hope too. Because as we live in our fallen and broken world, as we see the injustices that happen all around us and all around the world on a daily basis, the incarnation, this song that Mary is singing, it reminds us and it assures us that one day when Christ returns to paraphrase Samwise Gamgee, everything sad will come untrue. We can have hope in the midst of the darkness of our world because the words of Mary remind us of the promise that one day everything is going to be made right. One day all of this all of the wrongs of the world will be righted. All of the injustices of the world will come to an end. And I say that we have this promise because you may have noticed in verses 51 to 53 that when Mary speaks every verb she uses is in the past tense. She's writing as if this has already happened even though Jesus is still in her womb because she knows that these realities absolutely will come to pass because it is what God has promised. God will bring down the rich and the mighty and, the, and, the, the, and those who are proud. But those who are humble, those who are hungry, they will be exalted and blessed we we have these realities we have these promises that we can take to the bank the incarnation started the clock on these reversals that christ is bringing about in the world and we know that one day when he returns he will fully and finally make all things new so today as god enables us we can we can work to be a part of what god is doing to alleviate the injustices of the world. But we do this with full constant with full confidence, knowing that one day Jesus will ultimately bring his perfect justice to this world. And so like Mary, we can rejoice and we can give thanks and we can respond with awe-filled praise for the reversals Jesus is bringing. And as the season of Advent is meant to do, as we look back to what Christ has done in his first coming, we can look forward in our anticipation for his second coming, We, our anticipation for the day when he will come and he will finally make everything right. He will finally make everything good, everything sad, untrue. We can rejoice knowing that that day is coming. I hope this morning that the Spirit has been using His Word, this song of Christmas, to, to stir your heart, to fill you with joy and thanksgiving for the wonder of the incarnation, that far from being a message that we just get used to and shrug our shoulders at like the train, but that this message is becoming one that stirs our hearts to rejoicing as we see the reversals that Christ has brought about in your life and mine and the reversals that he is promising to bring to the world. Well, as we close this morning, we want to do just what we've, well, just what I've been talking about. We want to rejoice this morning, and we're going to do that as we take the Lord's Supper together. So I want to invite Scott to come on down, Scott and the band, invite our Lord's Supper servers to um, kind of get into position there, because as we think of the idea of rejoicing, there is no better way for us to rejoice for what Christ has done for us than to take the Lord's Supper together, because this is exactly what the Lord's Supper is supposed to do in our hearts. It's a meal, it's a feast of thanksgiving as we rejoice in the reversals that Christ has brought about in our lives through his life, death, and resurrection. So in just a moment, I want to invite you to take the bread, to take the cup, Um, for the Lord's Supper. Take them back to your seats and we are going to take them together as a body. And so as the serves are ready, feel free to come forward, grab the bread and the cup um, and then take them back again. We'll take them together. And as you're walking up to get those cups, I just want to invite you as you're standing in line or as you're walking up to feel free to rejoice with your brothers and sisters for all that Christ has done for you. So you can come forward and grab the Lord's Supper there.